Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Recording. Uh, I need to sit on my hands because we've finally realised that so many of the um, odd noises that come through the microphone is me gesticulating with my hands. I mean, I had a hunch, but there's finally proof. <laughs> basically, I, mean, I have eyes. Yeah, basically, um, as you guys would know, because you listen to us every week, the audio quality just isn't the best, but it's we've always just been like, why? Because we have the best microphones that we know heaps of other podcasters use. We do everything right. And I was like, what is going on? What is that puh noise that we just can't cut out? And then the other day when we were interviewing Mavorni, I was watching Grace's screen. So we're all on Zoom. And I was watching Grace's screen as she was asking Mavorni a question. And as she, as her hands were like moving around like an Italian like mobster, um, you, the I could hear your microphone going puh, because you were blowing air into it because that's how like it's, it's literally me blowing wind into the mic. Yes, with your with hands, hands, with your psychotic so hand gestures. <laughs> I was like, you're literally, you're literally just asking her, like, what do you do to cope with anxiety? And you're, you're like, flipping a disc over. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. Yeah. It's like I can't get the thoughts out of my pea brain quick enough that I need to drag them out with my hands. It'll be doing it now. Stop doing it. I need to tape them down. But then I, I need to drink this um, beverage, this cocktail through a straw. Um, yeah, so I have, um, as you can see through the screen, ditched the martinis this week because... Last week, after realizing that I'd been making half-strength martinis, I made full-strength martinis and then um, was knocked on my absolute ass after we finished recording. I was, like, the most drunk I've been in 
months. It was crazy. I was like absolutely out of control. I couldn't even remember going to Tesco the next day. <laughs> it's a like health hazard from this job. Yeah. So now, yeah. So now I'm just drinking red wine. We're going to take it slow and steady today. Pull things back a notch. Mm-hmm. So after last week's episode, um, which we did a segment about Army Hammer and we were kind of laughing about the DMs that we had seen and I had looked all over the internet except all over Instagram, which is where they were, um, but all over the news sites to try and find serious or whatever whatever he'd been saying to these girls and all we could find was things about him saying he was a cannibal and wanted to cut off girls' toes. And so we were laughing at that because I was like, that's weird. And also because we didn't we were like, we don't really understand this fetish community. I don't know. We were also mainly laughing at like the gratuitous way the tabloids were covering it, like page six getting pictures of like barbecued meat off his Instagram account and plastering it everywhere. But um, then since then, and actually prior to us recording, but we didn't know because we hadn't found this girl's Instagram account, um, there had been like really serious allegations of sexual assault um, by multiple women. So as soon as we were made aware of that and as soon as news started reporting on it last week, we pulled the segment completely because we would hate for anyone to think we were ever laughing at sexual assault. As you guys would know from listening to us for years, that's definitely not where we stand on the realm of sexual assault. Yeah, so he's fucking gross and a disgusting dirtbag and hopefully the completely unexplainable reign of army hammer in hollywood for 10 years despite never making a successful film and not being good at acting will finally come to an end because he's also a horrible violent pig yeah and i hope these women get justice that's a hard thing about it's just such a it's such a hard thing about these sorts of allegations because it's like Apparently the police are actually investigating his finster at the moment. Yeah, right. Well, the the allegations that are coming out are, like, pretty horrendous. But this is the thing we talked about in the Alexander Wang episode, which was about how there's this kind of very awkward gap now between things being on Instagram and then being picked up by mainstream media outlets because what you can publish as an anonymous Instagram versus what you can publish as a news journalist is, like, massively different and as a podcast we kind of sit in this awkward middle ground between those two things yeah well we can't actually you you can say that there's been allegations um which we would have said if we'd seen it but you can't yeah you, you have to be really careful like when we talk about doom we're talking about like funny things and just yeah we beep out celebrities names if it's ever anything that's like yeah more serious than um I'm trying to think of some of the funny ones. Yeah. If, if it's anything serious, then we can't really say it. So that's annoying. But um, anyway, he is horrific. Moving on to some happy uh, watching. We both watched Soul over the weekend. We had like a virtual um, movie night. We were both watching Unbeknown to each other, the same Disney Pixar movie at the same time. How did you feel? Yeah, it was so cute. It was so funny because when we talked about it, it was like two dirty little secrets. You're like, oh, I watched that Disney movie, Soul. And I was like, I did too. <laughs> yeah. I know. I've been wanting to watch it um, for ages. but Me too. It, it, it So this is the latest Disney Pixar movie and it's getting – the reviews I read were rave, rave, rave reviews. Yeah. Um, and it's the first – 
uh, Disney film with a black lead. Jamie Foxx plays the lead character who's an aspiring jazz musician. Um, and it's this happens in the first like five minutes, but he basically finally gets this big break in his jazz career and then he dies and he goes to this kind of beautifully filmed afterlife. The animation is gorgeous and he has to coax. Look at your hands. I know. I can't <laughs> not do it. I can't not do it. I saw you watching. Grace is like doing like um, whirlpools with her hands. <laughs> Okay, just hold them up in the air. Um, So his character has to guide a young soul, teach them how to be a human before they go into the world, but he doesn't want to be dead. So that's the story and it's all about ambition and learning to appreciate life in the moment and it's very sweet and lovely and timely for me and Izzy who have been like... Having a bad time. Having a bad mental health month, thanks to COVID. My therapist actually, it was it was homework. My therapist never sets me homework, and homework was watching Soul. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's um, really sweet. I laughed out loud um, in a few moments. I was actually speaking to it about. I was speaking with some friends about it a few weeks ago before I'd seen it, and two of them loved it, loved it, and then two of them just didn't love it that much, and they said that their problem was it with it was that um unlike old pixar movies like finding nemo you're not i feel like finding nemo and those sorts of pixar movies so perfectly were animation for kids that kids loved and understood but then you would be older and you'd be losing it laughing at every scene and there'd be those kind of like the simpsons jokes that only the adults would get kind of thing but then I'm also like, we were teenagers when Finding Nemo came out and I was kind of stoned all the time and found everything funny. Yeah, I wonder if we were at that age where you you get an adult joke so you think it's funnier than it is mm. because you're understanding something. Yeah. I just I just remember the other day thinking, I just don't laugh how I used to. And it's not nothing to do with this <laughs> deep, dark depression that I'm in at the moment. It's like... I just don't laugh how I used to. When I, I used to watch like Flight of the Concords or Summer Heights High and be in hysterics on the floor sobbing. And I'm like, I can't remember the last time I did that. No, we're old. We're old souls now. We're too oh. world-wisened to find things that funny. But I do think there's something to be said for movies like this are made to be watched in a cinema. Yes. And there's something about seeing something in a cinema where you're all like bouncing off each other's energy. And if you're in a cinema with kids and they're finding things funny, it kind of adds to it. I think that watching it home alone by yourself, it's just not quite the same experience, even though it's still lovely. Like even the, anim- the beauty, how beautiful the animation is would be so much more impactful in a m- massive cinema. Yeah, the animation was incredible. There's also a Māori actress um, voicing mm. one of the parts, Rachel House, who um, is the policewoman in Hunt for the Wilder People. And then on IMDb, because I Googled it, I was like, she sounds like she's from New Zealand. And then I was like, she sounds like she's Māori. And then I Googled it and um, she's from my tribe. Wow. So I, sh- I was of- excited when I heard her voice. I was like, is yeah. little Kiwi <laughs> in the film? I know, but then they had uh, like the she was quite um, dumb and stupid, and I was like, "That's she was <laughs> right. That's she racist." Was, <laughs> she was the closest that the um, movie had to a villain, I guess. Yeah, but yeah, then I was doing some digging 
and obviously I, I always feel a bit like I always feel a bit bad um, having a go at things like a beautiful, lovely, heartwarming Pixar film because you just want to just enjoy the nice <laughs> things in life. But I was doing some <laughs> Googling and there were actually a few race issues that people have pointed out. So as you said, it's the first ever Pixar film with a black lead and it's also the f- company's first black co-director, Kemp Powers. Um, but one thing that's actually quite a massive... Um, like missed red flag that they didn't um that they that they didn't know well one of the co-directors said he didn't even know about this during a virtual press conference but there's this trope that has become kind of frequent in animation with leads of color where they leave their body and go into something else so like in, in a bunch of films there's um so in the emperor's new groove the king turns into a llama brother bear morphs an inuit leading character into a grizzly bear Will Smith's character in Spies in Disguise changes into a pigeon. Most infamously, Disney's The Princess and the Frog transforms Tayana, the studio's first ever black Disney princess, into a frog for the majority of her story. So, And then this piece is saying, while Soul's main character is a significant milestone in terms of representation, it's unfortunate that it will also be added to this list because when he dies, which is like straight away, he transforms into this blue blob, which is in that kind of heavenly sphere. And then, this is kind of a spoiler, but not really, because it doesn't really matter to the overall film. But then Tina Fey's voice, which is an unborn soul. So she's not actually specifically a white woman. She's just an unborn soul, but she's voiced by a white woman. Then goes into Joe, the black lead's body for the like rest of the film, basically. So this article was saying that overall, Joe is a black man in his black body for less than 20 minutes for the entire film, which is kind of... Um, shit. That's so, yeah, that's so interesting. I've never heard of that, um, trope before, but it, it does make a lot of sense and it almost feels as if, and again, it's hard to know whether this is on a cognitive level or not, but it's almost as if there's this rationality that this is the way a white audience can deal with a black lead where it's like, a, it's including a black lead for the sake of white audiences, which just feels a little bit yeah um gross obviously it's you don't obviously this is not necessarily the filmmaker's intentions it probably isn't their intentions from what they've said but it obviously just showcases how because um i remember when i was in film school we studied the script to coco which was the last oh i haven't seen it big disney pixar film which is like very delightful (laughs) um It's really sweet. I hadn't seen it. I, didn't, I hadn't even heard of it, but we had to study it. Um, and we – anyway, as we were reading about how the script came together, Pixar works on these films literally five to six years beforehand. It's such a long process to get them made. So this movie isn't reactionary to our cultural no, yeah. moment. It happens to – it's happened to come out now, but it's been in progress for a long time. So you can kind of see in how it's made – that it was devised. Well, it was devised much earlier than where our cultural conversation is, you know. It would have been, uh, all of the voiceovers would have been done before Black Lives Matter. And since Black Lives Matter, Tina Fey had to pull a bunch of episodes of 30 Rock for Blackface. And then now in Seoul, her voice is inhabiting a black person's body, which is. For the majority of for the, the majority movie. Of the majority of yeah. the movie. Um, so, yeah, it's such a great movie but I was like I don't know why Tina Fey even just 
as we as I was watching it, I was like, I don't know why they chose Tina Fey for this unborn soul character because it's supposed to be basically a young soul. And I was like, just get a really cool young actor or actress, even Zendaya's voice or someone cool like that. And then it just wouldn't be a problem. Well, they gave a strange hat tip to it, which I thought was kind of odd. It kind of stood out to me when I was watching it where um, Jamie Foxx's character, Joe, says, why is that your voice if you're meant to be an unborn, like a baby? And she says, oh, I just wanted the most annoying voice possible, insinuating that the most annoying voice in the world is a middle-aged white woman's voice. And he says, oh, well, it's working. Um, so there was yeah. this weird kind of acknowledgement of it to the like, fact. Yeah. yeah. And then Hadley Freeman wrote a piece for the guardian about how she found that line totally unnecessary, but hers was kind of this argument that middle-aged white women are being pilloried and called Karens and it's so unfair. And <laughs> I was <laughs> like, okay, Hadley, I don't know. maybe there's some truth somewhere to that, but that's just not a conversation I'm particularly interested in having right now. But it is interesting that people are picking up on that because it was kind of, it was kind of in the whole film, the only reference specifically to racial identity in any way. Because even though mm. the lead character is black, there is n- nothing in the script that references his identity in any way, aside from the fact that he loves jazz, which is like a big part of the film. Um, so yeah, anyway, it's very interesting to talk about. Yeah. And I feel like that's also kind of... I, I can't... I'm trying to think if I read this or if this is my opinion. I'm like, do I come up with this? <laughs> but I think, like, what I think or what I've read that I agree with is the fact that um, how they didn't really reference yet his racial identity at all or his um, childhood or upbringing or anything at all kind of feels like, yeah, as if they're marketing it to a white audience but also just missing out on this whole key part of the story just to be like, oh, this is just the same as a white person, but he just happens to be black. It's like, that's just missing so much, like, good content. Yeah, well, this actually leads into my first recommendation for you for this week. Shall we start? Mm -hmm. So um, I read a really great piece in British Vogue this week by Yomi Adegoki, who was the author of that great book, Slay in Your Lane. And um, Bridgerton, the crazy popular Netflix period drama, horny period drama, has been renewed for a second and third season because it was, I think it had 63 million views in the first two weeks or something insane. Um, Oh my God. And Yomi wrote this really great piece in the wake of that about colorblind, quote unquote, colorblind casting. Um, because the thing about Bridgerton was that it was based on this kind of 20 year old um, period romance book, but they did a colorblind casting where they had um, black and non-white actors kind of littered throughout this show that was set in the 1800s. But the thing that they did in Bridgerton was really similar to what they did in Soul, where they made these tiny little references to race without ever really touching on it. And then that kind of undid this colorblind thing in Bridgerton because it wasn't as if these were all meant to be white characters and they'd happened to hire some non-white characters to play act and they'd hired some non-white actors to play the role it was referenced that this was a world in which 
black people specifically had been introduced and welcomed into the aristocracy. So race was this acknowledged part of the universe and yet it was never ever explored in any of the characters. So it was this weird kind of no man's land where race existed in this world, but it was never the subject of any of the storylines or any of the character development. Um, And Yomi's piece was really about how that's, while it is technically a step forward in the right direction for representation, it kind of feels a little bit awkward and hollow because really what you're doing then is just slotting black actors into what are white storylines because if you're not acknowledging their race and you're not acknowledging the role that race plays in their experience, especially in like the 1800s, even if it's a fantasy world, um, then is that really progress or not? Yeah, exactly. It's like it's like the, the idea of colorblind casting sounds good in theory but then it's just kind of is it just pretending everyone's white if you're not yeah if you're not changing the narrative to suit the person like I like the fact that um for example Jodie Turner-Smith is starring as Anne Boleyn in a new Channel 5 series and um remember we went to see the personal history of David Copperfield Mm -hmm. at the movies together and Dev Patel played the lead role in that um and in Mary Queen of Scots, Gemma Chan was playing one of the roles, one of the lead roles. Um, and I think that works really well. But then, yeah, as you say, because they're like well-known, well-loved stories where you're just saying it doesn't matter who yes. plays this actor because yeah, like um, the story is so famous. Like the Little Mermaid yeah. when they cast um Halle Bailey, the gorgeous black actress, as the Little Mermaid as Ariel, and everyone kicked up a fuss. I think that's when it's great and when it makes sense but exactly like what you're saying if you're gonna include a diverse cast in Bridgerton and then kind of allude to their race but then not address it specifically then it's yeah so these two um writers for Refinery 20 for Refinery 29 Inai Komanebo and Kathleen Newman Bremand did a kind of I think they called it a double hot take or something it was really cute and they had this conversation about their experience watching Bridgerton and they said the whole show is really at its heart about an interracial love story because they weirdly acknowledge halfway through that the Duke is black. <laughs> Do they? I haven't, I've only seen up to um, episode two. Yeah. So it's, it's weird. It's weird because you're watching this whole thing and you're thinking, oh, this is just a colorblind casting where everyone is technically quote unquote meant to be white, but they're just, they've hired amazing actors of color because who gives a shit? It's 2021. But then there's this bit halfway through where one of the actresses says to the Duke, you know, it's because the king fell in love with a black woman that we've all been allowed to be brought into the aristocracy. Love always wins. And then that's just this throwaway line and it's never, ever referenced again. And then when that happens, you're like, oh, (laughs) everyone knows he's black and black people have only been like accepted in the society in the last 10 years. Yeah. And yet. And even I read somewhere where someone was just like, if you're going to have a really diverse cast does it have to be a black guy falling in love with a white woman as your central plot there's yeah there's like definitely very few interesting black female characters in that show either which is these refinery girls say is actually um something that Shonda Rhimes has been criticized before if they're not showing black love like black it's it's usually a black woman falling in love with a white man or a black man falling in love with a white woman. Um, but yeah, this refinery article, they said 
Bridgerton did a lot of hinting or winking at race without actually ever going there. It's almost like they were scared to say it out loud. If you're going to do it, you have to give us actual conversations that would happen between people in interracial relationships. When you're in an interracial relationship, you have really fucking hard conversations, especially in the beginning. You have to talk about race and you have to point out the other person's blind spots. So it was this idea that it didn't have to be this kind of trauma narrative or this dark, heavy racial narrative, but you needed to have, if this whole show is about these two young people falling in love. Yeah, and and you've and you've acknowledged that he's black. Mm. Yeah, it's just odd. So I thought that was really interesting. Quick little recommendation is just that Tavi Gevinson has created this. You'll love this really cute Audible original series where she's repri- reprived, re- <laughs> brought back Rookie mag which was the famous magazine she launched when she was like nine in 2012 yeah she was 12 it's so crazy i hate her she's so smart and good and um this series is um getting old rookie writers to bring back a column that was called life skills and it basically gets these different cute writers to talk through a life skill that they've really learned in the kind of years since they were on rookie So you have these two really gorgeous sisters who talk about learning to silence your inner bully and all the kind of tactics they've learned. And then this really great writer who talks about how she's learned to talk to strangers or be good at talking to strangers when she's very shy and introverted. And it's just very sweet and actually very helpful. How do you silence your inner bully? Okay, so there's some good tips. She basically, they basically say you need to think of your inner bully or your inner saboteur, as we've said. <laughs> yes, RuPaul. Stealing from RuPaul. Um, as you need to see it as a person. You need to give it a form and an, a name or a, an image. Is it someone that bullied you in high school? Is it a parent? Is it a horrible ex-boyfriend? You need to kind of put a name and face to it and then recognize when those thoughts come in that that is this person, this bully talking to you. And if, if you can't put, like, a specific person, like, a specific person that, like, is behind it, would you just kind of Invent this kind of idea, like, brain? name it or whatever. Yeah. Get an idea mm-hmm. of what this bully is and where they come from. <clears throat> and then talk back to them like you would a bully. Like, stand up to them, tell them to go away, come up with tactics to, like, shoot them down. Avoid them. Avoid them. <laughs> like the plague. Run away and cry. <laughs> Um, I'm not going in this room today. They said lots of cute things that we've said before. Like imagine that this bully was talking to your best friend instead of you and what you would say to defend your best friend if a bully came up to them in like the schoolyard and was saying the stuff to them. So it's really nice. Yeah. Or even like the other day how I said, I've been feeling really sad in the shower. And you were like, yeah, the shower's a sad place. And you were like, just... (laughs) (laughs) And you were... (laughs) The shower is a sad place. That's I didn't I... know that till now. Yeah. Um, right. But then even now I like go into the shower kind of prepared and I'll either like put music on or put a podcast on or go into it thinking, okay, the shower is a sad place. You need to think positive. So I'm just like avoiding the bully. Prepare, prepare for the shower or like... <laughs> prepare for the shower bully. Turn the shower into a nice place. Yeah. By putting a cute little song on. Little Yeah, I'm having um, a bath tonight with a face mask. I always think I'll enjoy a bath and then get in there know, and I'm like, too like when am yeah. I getting out? <laughs> I do the same thing, you know, when you're like when you sunbathe outside or something mm. and you 
and you'll go and you'll take a blanket, a drink bottle, a book, a sun hat, face block, blah, blah, snacks. And then you get out there and you're like, oh, it's cold. And then you have to haul everything inside. I'm like, God, why did I do that? And then that's what I do in the bath. I get into the bath and I'm like, too hot, too cold, need a book, need water, need a drink. Um, face mask is like slipping into my eyes and making me blind. Yes. Or I'm like, I'm bored. What am I even doing here? When does this end? Is this too soon to get out of the bath? Is this too long yeah. to be in the bath? How long do I have to stay in here for for it to be relaxing? <laughs> I'm trapped. <laughs> Um, and my final recommendation, which is basically just something we want to talk about because we've both seen it, is mm. this amazing new show. It's an English show for our Aussie and New Zealand listeners, but you know, there are ways. You keep asking us and we can't legally tell you, but there are ways to get shows. It's 2021. Um, <laughs> Limeware. Yes. Limeware. <laughs> Kazaa. What was that one called? Um, it's Pirate called It's Bay. a Sin. And it's by Russell T. Davies, who's this kind of amazing gay screenwriter who's made um, a very English scandal, which I talked about last week, mm. Years and Years, which we talked about at Ages some point. Ago, yeah. So that show's um, so good. So good. He's a clever boy, Doctor Who, and um, Queer as Folk, which was a, sorry, Queer as, is it called? Yeah. And Queer as Folk, which was a, the first British gay drama ever in the 90s. Um, and this show is about a bunch of kids in London in the 80s as the AIDS crisis breaks out. Um, it's got an amazing, amazing cast of really great young emerging actors. And it's really funny. And it's very kind of slick and cute and Skins-esque. And it's amazing. It's getting such rave reviews. I think it's got 9.7 on IMDb. Five, yeah, like five stars The Guardian's everywhere. called it like yeah, a masterpiece it's, it's of so the year. Good. And... We agree. Great, great soundtrack. <laughs> great soundtrack. Lots of Kate Bush. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> the cast is um incredible. I was talking to you earlier, and I was like, the um, main guy is very hot, and you were like, what? He's just this little muffin. He's just this little He's like this cute little gay twink. muffin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I love him. Um, yeah, it's very sexy. Um. I'm only on, I'm up to episode three now. I'm going to binge at least two episodes this evening after the bath. But yeah, it's um, such a good watch. It's like really heartbreaking as well because it shows, even so early in, it shows um, how the AIDS crisis got so bad. And that's because um, at the time being gay was, was it illegal? Yeah. No, I think they'd stopped making it illegal in like the 60s, 70s and this was the 80s. So it had... Right. very recently been made not yeah. illegal yeah so it was still you had to be quite secretive about being gay in your workplace and um yeah uh what, one of the main characters went to an older gay couple's house and um the pair their parents didn't know and the neighbors officially didn't know even though they've been living in the house for decades um and then when aids broke out it was the gay gay people didn't believe the government because the government had been so horrible to them so they were like yeah sure there's this like thing that just kills gay people and then the government weren't even trying really hard to do anything about it because they because it was gay people that were dying yeah it's it's actually considering what a massive thing this was in the history of our culture there have been so few 
films, TVs, uh, sorry, films, TV series, just pieces of pop culture that reference the AIDS crisis. It's still mm. a largely like untapped part of recent history. And yet for that community, it was everything. Like it literally, it, they say like it, it was like the Grim Reaper with a bowling ball. Like it literally came in and it wiped out an entire generation of young gay men in their 20s right on the cusp of working in fashion, film, theatre, all of these amazing industries, whether they were going to or not, who cares, but it completely obliterated this entire generation of gay men and yet so few of us had like a good understanding of what it looked like or felt like or how many people died or what the experience of it was like. Or even just an understanding about it at all. Like I was literally like, how do I not know? Like in the opening scene, basically, um, the young lead throw his dad gives him a pack of condoms thinking he's off to find a girlfriend and he throws the condoms off the ferry and i was like what yeah and then i realized that obviously you would you wouldn't think you had to wear condoms because aids didn't exist you thought condoms Um, were for not getting someone pregnant and that's it yeah and then yeah and then i was like oh yeah i just realized how um ill-informed i was but i was basically like on wikipedia the whole time even the symptoms of aids i was because there's a scene where a guy seizures and I was completely confused. I had no idea that seizuring was linked to AIDS. I had no idea that um, senility and f- kind of losing your mind, getting and acting like a old person losing their mind was a part of the AIDS experience. I had mm. no idea that they literally locked people in wards and legally wouldn't let them leave because they were so confused by the by how AIDS spread, they thought it could be, it was airborne. They didn't understand. And yeah, like you said, it kind of relates to 2020 interestingly, because there was a lot of conspiracy theories among the gay community that it was fear mongering by Christian lobby groups to stop gay men having sex. So people were pretending that this disease existed when it didn't. It's just, it's such an important, interesting, awful, awful, moment in history and it's just so rarely depicted it's crazy Mm. and i love that they do it in a fun like you like how you said it's sexy yeah it's it's really sexy the first two episodes are really sexy it's really funny it's it's like light-hearted through so much of it which makes the serious stuff feel so much more heartbreaking to watch but i love that they did it that way because that's how it would have felt at the time it was this exciting moment where a lot of gay men were feeling free to be openly gay for the first time Mm. it would have been sexy and fun and cute and glamorous while also being awful yeah and it's these young it's these young 20 year olds living in a house together like having the time of their lives going out every night drinking partying and then there's in the background this thing breaking out in new york and then heading over to yeah, heading over to the UK and it's just yeah, it's wild. It's what it would have actually felt like, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, so anyway. Loved that. Um, I watched got lots of recommendations. We're gonna be here till tomorrow. Um, so I watched a documentary called Push, which I would really recommend to everybody. It's about a UN investigator who's traveling the world to basically get to the bottom of the global housing crisis. So um, to try and figure out why there's so many people who are unhoused or not being able to afford their, their housing when there are so many 
the housing options available basically so what the what she was finding out is that they're all around the world so she came to london it started in canada went to like uh, toronto went to london went to new york went to chile went all over the show sweden um is that all over the world there's all of these um housing apartment blocks that are completely empty and in london there's full massive blocks that are like completely empty there's no cars there's no cars parked on the road or anything because no one lives in all of these buildings and it's because these private equity funds are buying all of these um, apartments and especially low-income housing blocks and then they're pricing the people out who live there and kicking them out and leaving the buildings empty because they're using them as assets like they don't need them to make money off rent they just want them to sit there and also there's this like I need to get my head around it more but weird thing with tax basically where you can kind of it's a, it's like a tax loophole where you can have money in tax havens and then buy these buy buy a building with legal money then buy it off yourself with the tax companies tax haven company and then buy it back for way more money so that you have legal money in these countries it seems that seems like it should be illegal it's just so awful to think that you can have empty apartment blocks where people are homeless in the same area yeah so basically this woman this un investigator is like it is a human right to have access to adequate housing and that's just not happening to so many people who literally she was speaking to people who have been living in their apartment blocks for 20 years and they were like from next month i'm not going to be able to afford rent because it's doubling so where do they go and especially when they're buying low income housing blocks it's like where do the people who now can't afford to live there go if that's like supposedly the cheapest thing it's like Mm. really really interesting documentary um yeah it's amazing it's called push it's called push yeah and then I watched Black Bear, which is a new film with Aubrey Plaza and Christopher Abbott, who's Charlie from Girls, mm. who I once saw on a dating app. Did you? And he has married energy. That surprises me. Yeah, he does have married energy. He's like married yeah. with a baby energy. Um, and Sarah Gadden, who's that um, this really cute actress from the Netflix show Alias Grace. I don't know if you've seen it. She's so gorgeous. And it's a psychological thriller centered around Aubrey Plaza's character, who's a film director. And she goes to stay at this couple's house in the woods to write her next movie. But then it all flips around and you're kind of like, I don't know what the fuck just happened when you get to the end. But it's, <laughs> I, had to, I had to search it and I was like, what the fuck just happened? And there's like just all these theories. Um, excuse me, what the fuck <laughs> Yeah. Um, but it's really captive. Is it just a good movie? It's captivating. Aubrey Plaza is really great in it. She's such a dream girl. Yeah. She's an AWD dream girl. Yes, she is. Add her to our chart. Add her to our, like, wish list. Mood board. Mood board. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's it. And I watched Mulan um, because now I have Disney Plus because I wanted to watch Soul. Wait, so what's up with Mulan? Why did everyone hate Mulan? <laughs> everyone hates Mulan for numerous reasons. One, they didn't make it a musical which the first animation was, to then include, I think it was like Mushi or something, which was the dra- her dragon, and then include him because Chinese people thought it was really racist at the time when Disney did that. Oh, well, fair enough then. Yeah, and then also the main actress tweeted in support of the police in the Hong Kong riots. 
Yeah, but she's Chinese. Like, what else is she going to do? So everyone's like, no. She'd get, like, barred from the country if she didn't. <laughs> well, no, she lives in America. Um, so then everyone decided they hated it. But it was directed by a New Zealand director called Nikki Caro, who also directed The Whale Rider, which Keisha is in, our friend. Um, and it was shot, a bunch of films, a bunch of scenes were shot in New Zealand. And I just found it good. I found it easy to watch. It was just a... Yeah, you went to the set, didn't you, to interview... Yeah, I went to the set. The yeah, to cast while yeah. shooting. <laughs> yeah. It's so yeah. cool. Yeah, and last night I was like um, watching it, and then I was like, "God, that guy's hot!" Like the main, the main love interest is just like such a babe. And then, um, where was he on the day? <laughs> no, I interviewed him. On Did the you? Day. Yeah, he was hot as hot all over the you show. Fall in, in love. real life. No Pierce. No, yeah, I men. did fall in love, but <laughs> he didn't want me. <laughs> I don't think he could. Un- I don't think he could tell from like my like hundreds of layers that I was giving him six eyes. <laughs> Um. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Okay, should we top up and do funny Celeb goss. Okay. Um, just quickly while we make our drinks. I mean, I'm just topping up some wine, so it's easy. But while you make your martini, let's talk a little bit about Dakota Johnson not telling us the truth, actually, Ellen. I love this. I just love her. So she did an extremely memorable Architectural Digest house tour in which she went to lengths to explain that she was obsessed with limes and had a she had like a bowl that had about 30 limes in it. And then she went on Jimmy Kimmel the other day and said that she was allergic to limes. So the internet had a meltdown. <laughs> she's so funny as well because she's so... Deadpan. She yeah. seems so awkward and deadpan that you think she's not... You think it's going to be the most awkward interview ever, ever. And then she just says something hilarious like that. So in the Architectural Digest thing, she's like... I love limes. Love them. Like, it just picks them up and there's so many limes everywhere. And then she was just like, I'm allergic to limes. <laughs> She's just so... <sighs> I know. I think... I feel like the thing that happened with Architectural Digest is that they set decorated her house with, like, silly things. So she was taking the piss saying she loved yeah. Yeah, the limes. But because she's so... She has really great comedic timing. Yeah, yeah. She's great. You know, like, she knows what she's doing. She's a funny, funny girl. The funniest thing I think she's ever done is when um, Olivia Wilde... No Harry Styles and Olivia Wilde goss recently, is there? Um, 
Olivia Wilde posted Dakota Johnson washing her hands, but it was Chris Martin's hands around her waist. And so she had her hands behind her back and was using Chris Martin's hands to wash her hands. And I was like, I didn't know you were the funniest person in the entire world, but you are. Chris Martin had really like supple feminine hands as well. It took me much longer yes. than I needed to to realize what was happening. Yes. I was like, yeah. Dakota just has big hands. Also, um, another quite quite um, outrageous celebrity story this week, but expected nonetheless, is... In news that will surprise no one that was paying attention, even with one eye. <gasps> is that Claire <laughs> and Dale from The Bachelorette are over officially also a very messy ending to their relationship which um for anyone who can't remember claire was the bachelorette and on night one when she met everyone when they were got out of their cars she declared that she'd met her husband dale who i would probably say the same thing if i met him in real life he's like the hottest man to walk the earth he looks like the bridgerton guy but hotter way but hotter. hotter he's so yeah. hot And um, she declared she'd met her husband. They then chat, like, for about five minutes in total over three episodes. And she (laughs) says, that's it. It's off. I quit. The show's (laughs) over. I've met my man. And then they make him. They force him to propose to her. So he proposes to her. He's like, what the fuck's going on? I just came on here for a few extra Instagram followers and here we are. Yeah. Proposes to he her. Was on hoping like to episode... emulate that one that came second and then dated Gigi Hadid. But he ended yes, up Tyler having Cameron. to propose to The Bachelorette after three episodes. She was such a naughty girl. She used to go on group dates and like sneak off, scuttle off to Pash Dale in her bed. I know. And they had six, like three episodes in. And also... He would never think that this was (laughs) ever going to happen. He would never think there was a possibility ever that the show was going to end after episode three. He would have just been like, great, I'm going to win. Like, this is brilliant. I'm at least going to get through to the final two. She loves me. I've got this wrapped around my finger. No, sorry. Anyway, he has to propose to her. It's like so... And also, um, she... They revealed in a reunion episode or something that she had been given by some <laughs> stupid fucking production yes. assistant the list of all the contestants while they were hotel quarantining for the two weeks before they could start filming. So all she had was a <laughs> yeah. brain and a phone and a list. Illegal. You should weeks. not be able to search all of the Bachelor contestants. Exactly. So she fell in love with Dale on Instagram before she even yes. met him. So then when she met him for the first time and he was even hotter probably than he looks on Instagram, she lost her mind. So she developed this unhealthy fantasy of him before she met him. And so within literally days of meeting him, she was saying, I'm calling the whole thing off. It's Dale. Dale's my husband. And they... It's like yeah. it's like all of us... Um, it's like that Camille Charrier article on Harper's Bazaar. Yeah. She was like, when I was in my 20s and I just met this guy once at a bar and then was like, that's my husband. Yes, I understand the um, impulse, which is why of Claire is Jara, because we just, our heart breaks for Claire, because it's just, it's relatable, but unfortunate behavior. And it was just really clear, because it was, they'd built a lot of hype around the season by saying, the Bachelorette quits, because she's so in love. 
And I just hoped, I just hoped and prayed that it would be this really cute love story that she'd quit because it was so obvious. But when you watched it, you were like, this is going to last for seven minutes. No, Claire, no. Yes. He's too hot. He's too hot for anyone. He's too too hot um, for anyone. If he was going out with Emrata, I'd be like, watch your back, (laughs) Emrata. I know. I know. Um, Anyway, so they announced their separation in a very messy way, of course, where Dale announced it, saying they'd mutually decided to go their separate ways on Instagram. And then Claire replied two days later with her own post saying, I found out about our mutual breakup at the same time as all of you guys. (laughs) Oh, Oh, I do feel really bad for her, but she also made like an extremely foolish decision. There was some really nice, sweet, genuine men in that season and she got blinded by dale's beautiful head the bachelor usa knows how to pick him and they do a good job they do better than australia i mean the honey badger was quite like an iconic moment in tv history but he was he was great just how he picked no one was like such a shock you know it like shocked the nation it's so it's so it's so him but it's also so straight white australian dudes yeah who just have this platter of like the most gorgeous amazing women and so many of them are like "Eh, nah yeah (laughs) and you're like why why do you think you can do this but they just (laughs) do you think you are it's just straight what it's just straight white men (laughs) who are not very handsome and not very you know like look at the honey badger and he had these gorgeous beautiful angels yeah and was like "Eh, nah I know. And they both, those girls are funny as well. Mm. Okay. The batch. On to the inauguration. That feels like one year ago already. This is this awful time. It feels like so long ago. Um, But yeah, there are... God, what even happened? I mean... The biggest thing that came out of the inauguration was the Bernie Sanders meme. A photographer captured Bernie sitting, waiting for the whole thing to start, wearing his same jacket that he wore when he was asking for money in another viral clip, and these really cute mittens that were made for him by... (laughs) Who were they made for him by? Like a teacher. Like an elementary school teacher out of like recycled ocean debris god it's so cute and he just like has his um hands crossed and is frowning and looking down and obviously it's a bit um camp like it's yes it's something kind of yeah yeah he looks like bored yeah Mm. the meme went completely viral even just his whole outfit and attire went completely viral everyone was like bernie sanders acting like the inaugurations on his to-do list today sorry is on his (laughs) to-do list today but isn't his whole day um and it was like at, because of the meme it i read a really good piece on wired which was like it felt like a cultural reset kind of like everyone breathing a sigh of relief after having such an intense time it's the l- final day that donald trump is president everyone just wants to laugh it's kind of like the tiger king thing when lockdown started and there was a global pandemic and everyone was like what the fuck is going on let's laugh at this crazy man with his tigers um that's how it kind of felt with Bernie, which I feel is true. Because everyone just... Yeah, it was like a sense of 
community, everyone coming together all at once to say, we all feel this way. Yeah, and we all find this hilarious. The The amount of places he was photoshopped into, it's like a joke. But um, people are still doing it this morning. And I'm like, I know, guys, it's over. It's time to stop. <laughs> um, but this girl on Instagram called Birdie Hall, who only has... 1,700 followers went completely viral, which is kind of new for Instagram because Twitter, it's really easy to go viral because people just search a keyword. And if you've included the keyword, I I accidentally went viral on Twitter once. Um, Did you? Yeah. Well done. I went viral on Twitter when I was only using Twitter to try and screenshot something for afterward drinks. And then I came back the next day and it had like 10,000 shares. And I was like, oh dear, I just deleted it. (laughs) I'm great at Twitter. I went viral on Twitter, but like in a really mediocre way for um, writing something really cunty about a girl that was bullying other girls on The Bachelor. So good. I was making fun of her sunglasses. Um, But she went viral when she posted um, a photo, the photo of Bernie and wrote something that I was thinking, it, it just encompasses what you think when you look at the inauguration and how intense it is and how they have the biggest pop artist in the whole world before me and you're like what is going on is this the super bowl is it coachella is it inauguration like i don't even know what's happening there's a global pandemic um she wrote i seriously hope this image goes down in history as one of the most endearing sad and brilliant photos of a man who wearing the same jacket he always wears and mittens knit knitted by a Vermont school teacher, acknowledges his position as a public servant and not a celebrity entertainer, decked out in Chanel or some other exorbitant performance costumes. He's wearing the same cheap, ugly blue surgical mask we all have to wear. He seems to understand how absurd and disconnected pop grandiosity can be in the midst of a pandemic when most of the population doesn't have $400 or health insurance or the money to safely stay home. He's still sitting strong in moral solidarity with the working class and all disenfranchised people of this country. I love that. I think that uh, you sent that to me and that really encaptured, which I didn't realize I felt about why the Bernie meme was so powerful. Mm. And it's because so when Melania left the White House, um, she was wearing a $71,000 crocodile skin Birkin, which like chic, but (laughs) (laughs) the country is in economic disarray. Millions of people have been forced to wait for life essential stimulus checks for months because of completely outrageous partisan political infighting about the stimulus the image of Melania wearing a $71,000 USD, so that's closer to 100000 Australian dollars, handbag, to me just encapsulated the Donald Trump presidency down to a T. I just thought it was awful and tacky and gross. But then I was like, but then we've also got all of these massive pop stars decked out in outfits that would cost similar amounts of money from couture designers celebrating the new guard and it just, it, it all just felt, I understand that this is like the historical precedent of the presidency and that Beyonce played for the Obamas and that there's always been these big showy inaugurations. But that contrast, whether it's from Melania or if it's from JLo, like head to toe bespoke designer, 
I it just felt off. So seeing Bernie in cheap clothes sitting through this kind of crazy, ridiculous, like you say, Coachella-esque performance looking like, when will this be over so I can go back to work, mm. was really powerful because we're not really in a cultural moment that facilitates a Lady Gaga performance in Chaparelli Couture. As wonderful as Lady Gaga is and as beautiful as her performance was, and you know what I mean? It's like you don't want to have a go because they're very well-intentioned people, but it just it, it did feel right to have this viral picture of this person being like, okay – can we get this over and done with? Like, what is going on? Yeah, what is going on? I know. And I think also in previous years, like, as you said, as you said, this has been going on forever. They've had, like, Aretha Franklin perform. But when Beyonce performed for Obama, it felt like a time for celebration. I guess it's obviously a time for celebration because Trump... Who performed when Trump was inaugurated? He couldn't get anyone. It was three doors down. Oh, my God. Who's boyfriend? Whose girlfriend dumped them when... Lil Wayne. And Trump gave him a pardon on his last day in office. A federal pardon. And no one knows what crime it's for because it just covers everything. Oh, my God. Can you believe? Like, what did Lil Wayne do? That's... <laughs> and why did Trump go out of his way to give him a presidential pardon? Oh, my God. That's so funny. Because he knows that his girlfriend dumped him. But, yeah, it, it's like... But this is like what you say, the connection between like politics and pop culture in the US is so strange to anyone outside of America. Yeah, it's so confusing. Can you imagine? Like even, even yeah, it's like the pop culture thing, the, the whole fashion thing is crazy. But then like, I guess the J-Lo and Lady Gaga thing seemed wild because it felt like, because that's the official, that's the official swearing in. So I was just like, why do we need J-Lo here singing Let's Get Loud of all things? Of all songs. Me and you both made jokes beforehand. I was like, she should play Let's Get Loud. And you had to Zach, hadn't you, being like, play Let's Get Loud, you cowards. And then she did. I was like, play. <laughs> well, I, cause I, I was watching the live stream and literally between Kamala getting sworn in as vice president and Biden getting sworn in as president, they're like, we're going to have a quick performance from J-Lo. And I was like... What? <laughs> what is going yeah. on? And then I was making yeah jokes, being like, "Play Get Right," like my favorite J Lo song, Jenny from the Blog. I love Let's Get Loud. Let's um, Get Loud is like my and then favorite she's, song. Right, and then she sang two American like anthems, fucking songs. I don't know what they are. And then halfway through, she just sang "Let's Get Loud," which I did see on like the depths of some Instagram thread she's done throughout different key performances in her life as a kind of bat signal to the Latinx community. Well, that's insane. It's still insane. Okay, well that's that's like nice, but obsessed. It was so inappropriate. <laughs> yeah, she's so she's like gorgeous in Chanel, and she was like, "Let's get loud." I was like, "Okay." I was like, "I can." <laughs> okay we will <laughs> all right to a um, silent empty like yeah. inauguration but yeah. then what i did love in saying that is watching k perry's performance of like the most random song firework which is just some for some reason like such a banger it's it's such it's such like a an emotional song but i don't even know why i like can't figure it out she's struck the same when i watched that performance i was blown away but but okay okay here's what i'll say i don't i don't know why 
I felt like the Katy Perry thing just worked and the other stuff didn't. You know, but that's what I was going to say. It's because it's not in the middle of a president and a vice president being sworn in in the middle of the day in this really intense ceremony. You're not getting Katy Perry to wander in and perform fireworks that's random but at the end of the night when you're all celebrating and it's just this like celebrating america concert that's not the specific thing and it's filmed in this beautiful way at nighttime yeah where it's against and it's all obviously done against like the lincoln memorial with the fireworks and it's all beautifully timed and everyone's watching that made sense to me Mm. but yeah like you say the whole day and again the fashion was we are fashion journalists we loved the fashion we loved seeing kamala's cute stepdaughter the star oh. a star is born ella, ella emhoff in Mew Mew. of course we loved to see it okay we p- would prefer it happened than didn't but and fashion was used in a clever way where it was like kamala wore christopher john rogers who's this really amazing emerging black designer and michelle obama wore sergio hudson the day before yeah pmos the day before um I can't remember, sorry, who Jill Biden was wearing, but it was an emerging white female sustainable, sustainable designer. Doug Emhoff and Joe Biden wore Ralph Lauren, and Ralph Lauren is a, a Jewish immigrant who's built up this. There was a lot of subtle, well-thought-out, choreographed political meaning behind all of the outfits. The colors meant something. Kamala wearing purple is like a mix of blue and red showing that she's going to be partisan and a suffragette and suffragette. it was all very well thought out it's just interesting that in america high fashion at that level plays such a role in politics because it's hard to imagine anywhere else in the world we were talking saying can you imagine if boris johnson's girlfriend wore like amelia wickstead haute couture to his swearing in or if Theresa May wore custom JW Anderson. Like Jacinda yeah. Ardern. <laughs> yeah, like Jacinda Ardern wearing like custom <laughs> Chanel. People would be like, are you joking? Yeah, but it is, it's like, it's this strange thing in America where politics is part of entertainment. It's It's so closely married to mass media culture that you almost can't divorce those two things from each other, which is kind of scary, but interesting. I think that the thing is as well, is it's like, because you can use it to make such a statement, because people are looking at it so much, that when you don't use it to make a statement, for example, Kamala's Vogue cover, where she's in just jeans and chucks and a blazer and then a um, Michael Kors suit, and she's just obviously... I don't know if obviously, but probably hasn't thought too much about what statement she's making by wearing that other than coming across as like approachable and personable. Then you get the crazy backlash that you got because she wasn't thinking about it. So now it's become so so ingrained in their jobs kind of that it's so important that now if we start being like, why are you doing that? Then so because so many people benefit from it. Like Pierre Moss is so incredible. It's such a cool choice of a designer to wear on inauguration eve. Is like this amazing young black des- uh, designer called Kirby Jean Raymond from New York, who's known for like blending activism with uh, with his runway shows, and he's mm. created all these documentaries. He 
famously called out business of fashion in 2019 for like being tokenistic and said he didn't even want to be on their business of fashion 500 gave so much and their designs are like fantastic fantastic. gave so much to covid relief so he gathered ten thousand us dollars for worth of ppe for hospital workers turned the pmos office into a donation center and created a hundred thousand dollar fund to help small community focused creative businesses that are like minority groups or women owned survive the pandemic he's like so amazing so it's so cool that kamala is like heroing these brands and then it's like if we start thinking why are we talking about her fashion then it detracts from all of the good that the fashion brands are doing but then also focusing on her fashion as opposed to michelle obama's is like kind of different because kamala's a politician and you want to focus on what she's doing as a job rather than michelle obama who was a first lady so it's like, it's a hard line. Exactly. It's a really hard line to toe. And it's like we've said before where, you know, fashion and beauty are for a lot of women a really essential part of their lives. And this idea that to be a serious person who's taken seriously in their role, that they have to disown those things about themselves seems wrong. But at the same time, politicians are public servants. They're being paid money to do things on behalf of the many millions of people that voted for them and in that spirit it seems whoever you're talking about it's kind of inappropriate to focus on what they're wearing because it's so beside the point and it can really detract from like the work they're doing but I think I mean I yeah nothing that happened in the inauguration was quote unquote wrong I think the way Kamala looked the way it was done was very tasteful and everything. It's just it's just funny, felt jarring and odd to watch, <laughs> especially given America. Like they had a vigil the night before for the four hundred thousand Americans who've died because of COVID. It just yeah, and then and then they're like standing on balconies clapping to this fireworks display that would have cost millions of dollars. Apparently, the Disney fireworks display at Disneyland cost a million dollars a night. So imagine. Wow. What that one is. Yeah. Um, And um, I think we need to quickly also touch on Amanda Gorman, who's the amazing poet Mm. who was by far the standout performance of the day. I looked her up on Instagram beforehand. I think we were texting about her. Looked her up on Instagram beforehand and she had 70,000 followers on Instagram. Now she has, or yesterday when I checked, she had 3 million Oh my god. You can see why. She was just mm. such a standout. Um, completely incredible. She just looked so beautiful. She was so confident. Her words were so amazing. She's twenty two. Yeah, it's just I can't imagine the pressure of I just kept thinking that while she was talking. I was like, Don't fuck up, don't fuck up. <laughs> it would be I can't imagine being that stressed about something. But she nailed it, yeah. I know. And then she put, she, she posted a photo of herself with Michelle and Barack and was like, what'd she say? She's like, kill <laughs> me or something. Like something really young and like millennial. She yeah, was like, oh my so fucking great. God. Um, yeah, that was, I mean, if they just had that, the inauguration of the two and then that poem, that would have been plenty. I'd have been looking. I was like, I saw that it was Gaga and J-Lo and I knew confidentially because my friend who's fucking incredible styled Katy Perry for that which is just like the most wild thing in the world I knew Katy Perry was performing but I was like are they I was like are they 
going to be anyone that's like obviously JLo's Latin X, but I was like, is there going to be anyone black at all? And I'm so glad they chose Amanda Gorman to perform poetry instead of getting like a, just a, another artist. I think it was, I think that like made it. Yeah, it really did. It made the whole thing. Um, I think something interesting to very quickly touch on is how it's. I mean, it's not really important because most of our listeners aren't American, but we, me and Izzy have just talked a lot about how politics has got so kind of fractured now to the point where it's like when we're talking about soul, where you, you don't want to criticize something that seems good. It's, we keep trying now for some reason, even though we're all very intelligent people to put things into the good or bad category and then be like, when it's in the good category, we can just leave it in the good category and not criticize it. And when it's in the bad category, we can never acknowledge anything good it does. And that's it. Whereas with Joe Biden, he's a completely imperfect candidate as is Kamala Harris. And just because they're in now and they're not Donald Trump doesn't mean there's no scope for like, criticism or nuanced analysis of what they're doing or to hold them to account you know I think people people seem to have like forgotten that about politics like you don't just ha- you don't just elect who you want to win yeah it's not like your team your team's won yeah your team's won the Super Bowl and yeah. then you just only celebrate yeah, yeah. um I know I, I saw that when Joe and Kamala got elected and someone was like yay I'm so happy they're elected I can't wait to start rallying against them to and, and people were all arcing up in the comments and they were like, no, that's what I think. That's what a leader is there to represent the people. And so if they're not agreeing, they're not doing something that you, if they're doing something you don't agree with, or if they're not working hard enough for something that you think is important, then you should be rallying against them. That's like whole point of them. Um, yeah. And if they're not Donald Trump, that doesn't mean that they're amazing, like untouchable. Yeah, I think everyone's just like so stoked that that fucking idiot's gone. Yeah, I was like, sure he moved don't to want to Florida. Think about it at all. That's so funny that he literally. Did moved you see to the Florida. footage of when they got off the plane? It's really yeah. Funny. I saw the video. He stops and waves to everyone, and Melania, Melania just stomps yeah. off. <laughs> she's an icon. She is. She is. She is. Yeah, she is. I want to know if she's going to divorce him or if she can or what's happening. I don't think they've had sex. Since Baron was born. Baron, yeah, since Baron was conceived. Where's Baron? He was gone, like, through everything. (laughs) He was. He wasn't at Trump's farewell. He wasn't at... God. I know. All right. We should start wrapping it up. Um, cool. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everybody. Go and watch Have Soul. Some nice reviews this week. Yeah, watch Soul. Did we? Nice I can't log in. I can't see the reviews. You have to send them to me. I can't figure it out. Yeah, we had like four really nice ones. Did we? Yeah. Shut it. Us. Thanks, everybody. Um. Yeah, I do love. I do love a nice review, especially when we're feeling so down in the dumps. Yeah, I know. I'm just like it's um, been rough, guys. Yeah, it's it's a shit time. It's so. I mean, the snow was beautiful, and then I walked outside and almost slipped over and fell on my ass and was like, okay, fine. (laughs) Fuck you, snow. (laughs) Yeah, can't wait to see another human again. Yeah, I know, fucking hell. Apparently it's going to be like this till May, something to look forward to. My 30th on Zoom. 
Who would have thought? Oh, My 29th easy. was on Zoom. <laughs> God. Crazy. I do feel like my brain is slowly unraveling. No, um, me too. My brain's fully unraveling. I went to Tesco before to try and get fish for tonight, and they didn't have the fish I needed. And I walked out of Tesco and burst into tears crying. <laughs> like, I'm not joking. That's the second time that I've cried yeah. my eyes out today. Oh, But it's just like, that's just the stress. Yeah, it is. We don't want to bring you guys down to our level because we love you. But think <laughs> think Melbourne times forever. Think Melbourne hardcore lockdown, but from but in the de- yeah, September yeah. Till, <laughs> till May. <laughs> <laughs> and pitch black until from like 4 p.m. onwards. Okay, let's hang up. <laughs> Not on you. Last week was so funny. Actually, this is the one where... T- <laughs> I realized you were drunk and people will realize now too. It's because I was like, you need to end the podcast. And you were like, why are you hanging up on me? And I was like, no, we need to end the podcast. And you were like, what? And I was like, we need to say goodbye to the listeners. And you were like, okay, bye. If you want to go, bye. Oh my <laughs> God. The episode ended. I haven't listened back because I'm like petrified to listen to myself that drunk. I was wasted i was like i don't know how else to explain this to you (laughs) (laughs) yeah because we've got the army hammer podcast it's like seven minutes long and it's just us being like blah 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 and then you being so drunk you don't know how to say goodbye (laughs) oh my god yeah i had to get nando's that night i don't even eat I chicken. had to get. <laughs> I don't even eat chicken, and then they forgot Actually, the fries, and I like almost cried. I had like a full meltdown about that. Yeah, that's that's like a genuine crisis. Nando's forgetting the chips. Um. Okay. Bye, everyone. Love you. Leave us a review. Positive, please. please. Bye. Bye. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.